Hello. Oh, hello. You're there. That should be better. Hello. Hello. Oh, now you're quiet. Now you're now. Huh. Oh, now I'm loud. No, no, it was me. It was not you. Okay. All right. I'm adjusting my microphone anyway. Yeah, but adjust your. It might be your microphone technique. Is that? Oh, it's definitely my microphone technique. Yeah, yeah. It's that. That's like 100. It. Um. Hello. How are you? Hello. I'm well. I'm well. How are you? And and you and you, sir. No, I'm I'm good too. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm at home, and okay, it's lovely in North Carolina, and my window is open to to get a breeze, and hopefully it doesn't sound like birds all the time. But I do live in a in a like somewhat <clears throat> of a don't don't be creepy, but I live in a forest, uh, <laughs> and uh, so so anyway, I just I want you to be aware, and I want our listeners to be aware that I know that there are bird sounds in the background. That's not a, it's not a surprise to me. Uh, okay, well, so it is also a lovely day here in New Jersey, not quite as warm as North Carolina, I would venture to say. My window is closed, but you know, I could in, in, in some bird sound solidarity, I could open my window too, and then people wouldn't know who to blame. I mean, you be you, whatever you wanna do. Um, or we could just make this so it's it, like you set it up like we did open your window or you did open your window, but you really didn't. And all the bird sounds are still mine, but you're you're in solidarity of, of blame sharing. So. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this affects the recording, but, you know, there are settings in Zoom um, to suppress background noise. Nah, that's it's in the show. Um, it's in the show. It, it's well, it's so right now it's set on auto. Um, but I could I could change it to low, which would be faint background sound, medium, computer pa- computer fan, pen taps, perhaps birds, I don't know. And then high um, would suppress typing and dog barks, which that's I, that seems improbable. Like like I, I might su- either either it's not going to work or it's going to suppress the dog barks as well as many other things. I'm thinking Well, with you. You're yeah. Well, um, I, I have. Oh. You know what I have in suppressed background noise? It is set to high. Oh. So there you go. Well, that's... that might explain why I can't hear any birds. Yeah. Here, how about this? Can you hear okay. birds now? It's now on low. No. Mm. Well, we're, we'll try it. I, I, want, I want our listeners to get the idea of what it's like if we did record this outside. Well, so here's the thing, Ben. We have repeatedly stated on this podcast um, that we... If you are listening to this potty pot podcast, are you listening? If you are listening to this podcast, um, because you really enjoy our excellent editing skills, mm. our diction, our lack of using um, whatever what whatever that that is um, um mm. filler mm. words. Yep. It, and and our excellent, uh, very well designed offices and microphone technique. If those are the reasons why you're listening, this is probably not the right podcast for you. Right? Or, yeah, but if you're <laughs> if you're listening to to critique those things, then it might be the right podcast. Well, yes, please uh, high quality. Please, yeah, please, please email Dan with all yeah. of your complaints. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Email all the Dans. Um, but yeah. Hey, um, so I'm going to, as I like to do, I'm going to describe my situation. Um, cause I know, okay. I know how much you enjoy 
knowing what I'm up to in, in the world. Um, sure. So, so right now I'm at home. Um, I, I spent this morning at a, um, you know what, doing, doing some department head duty. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's D U T Y not D O O D I E. I don't know. Well, potato, anyway. potato. I mean, right, right, right. You know, this is a podcast after all. It is a podcast. <laughs> and, uh, yes. So, uh, but, but then, uh, I, I, one of my kids is home, uh, on uh, spring break and we, oh. yeah, again, not, not to be creepy. I, um, I, I have, uh, I have two kids and both of them share different spring break weeks this year. Which, oh yeah. Yeah. Which is terrible because mm. it, it meant that, um, no, no one's happy. No one got to go on vacation. Um, one, basically they're, they're hanging out at home by themselves, but today um i came home mainly mainly because there, there's another situation happening in uh -oh. my office office which uh -oh. is carpet is being replaced oh yeah and so that comes with sounds of fans which you wouldn't think about right don like why would you need a fan to replace carpet well it's to dry the glue that goes on the right. back of the carpet which probably you shouldn't be smelling either. I mean, no, I'm thinking true. long term, and, you know. Yeah, and and let's let's not even get into that, uh, because uh, that was that was a big portion of my day yesterday. Um, so so anyway, I'm I'm home, and I'm uh and, and my my child is uh my my uh, my wife is out. She's working. My kid's home, and he's playing uh, PlayStation Lego Star Wars, which is his new obsession. Uh, and, uh, so I left this morning at about seven 45 and, uh, let the record show that it is now one 11. So let, you know, a, a good, uh, uh, five and a half hours I've been out of the house. And when I left, he was playing Lego star Wars. And when I returned, he is still playing Lego star Wars, still in his pajamas. I think he's living his best life. Uh, he's on vacation, man. He's, he's, totally he's got on vacation. a break from school. And sorry, and, remind me, which son is this? Older this or younger? Jack. Son? This is older. Jack, yeah, younger, older son. Older son. Okay. And there's a new Lego Star Wars. Um, it's like the, I think it's called the Skywalker Saga, maybe. Okay. Lego Star Wars Skywalker Saga. Is that it? It's new. One new game, okay. over 300 characters to play. That's what he's playing. And he's almost finished it. It, it came out um like a week ago and this has been his full-out obsession um so anyway the reason why i'm telling you this is because when i came home i knew two things one is i needed to be on my shadow network right um, because they're because people are they, they like to contaminate yep. yeah like to contaminate my broadband and two um i needed to reset that shadow network because mm. I, I have not used it for really like three or four weeks. And sometimes it, you know, internet does weird things. So I, so I reset it. So that was one of my delays. I told you, I was like, Hey, I'm going to get, I got to make some fizzy water. And then I remembered, Oh no, one other thing Shadow I need network. to do. Yeah. Shadow network reset. So, so hopefully all of my audio sounds good. Everything will go fine. Well, except and, for the birds. Well, th those are bonus birds, Don. This isn't, they're not, they're part of the, they're part of the ambiance today. So, you know, on yeah. most podcasts, you'd have to pay extra for birds. Right. This podcast, you get them for free. You get free birds, free, free, do you, just like uh, 
Leonard Skinner. We've got many, <laughs> many of our uh, listeners often are just yelling free bird. And, and here we are. We've given it to them today. So, so I've got that. The other thing I was going to tell you about is um, I started watching a show on Netflix that my kid got me into, Space Force. And yeah. have you, it's on, do you, do you know about this, this show? It's, it's not great, but it's certainly not terrible. And it's, <laughs> okay. Right. Like, and I know I'm not selling a lot right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's from, it's brought to you by, uh, two of the guys from the office. And I know that that's not your, your favorite. Well, it's not a a favorite genre within your household. This is, it it is light and quite lovely. And there aren't like bad characters doing good things or good characters doing bad things. And it's not a lot of awkwardness. It's quite, it's, it's, I, I found it quite delightful. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, well, and it's got, it's got John Malkovich who was always interesting and yes. uh, Steve Carell, who's good. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to, you know, I'll have, have to run this by the TV boss and see what she says. Well, yeah. Check it out. And it's, I mean, it, it is, um, it was announced around the same time that the real space force, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's the, um, in, in the military, the armed forces, there's the coast guard. There's, I think they're part of it. Um, the there's the army there are the marines there's the navy there's the air force and then there's space force and um and it's not a joke like this is a real thing but it's kind of a play on the naming of space force and what it would be like to to start it it's quite good i've i've enjoyed it um i've enjoyed it uh, so when I when I type in the name of our former president and then the word Space Force, uh-huh. um, the top the top hit is from uh, the Independent, uh, <laughs> where uh, Trent Reznor, what's his name, the guy that works uh, from Trent Reznor <laughs> from Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> no, what's his name? That from the from the from the move, the soccer movie, the football uh, TV show, uh, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Um, Trent, Trent, La- Trent, 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 Trent Reznor from the. <laughs> You know him from. Uh, you know who I mean. I, I did. I did. I did yeah. Ted Lasso. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the guy. The guy. But anyway, so I that 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 comes up, and the headline is, uh, I'll, I'll I'll say, you know, the f- supporter of the former president uh, claims Space Force will overturn election results in bizarre <laughs> rally interview. So, and that's uh, you know, so there's that. That's from. A week I look ago. forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So one of my favorite characters in this, I can't tell you his full name because it's not appropriate for our non-explicit. Oh, mm-hmm. um, but is um, he's he runs the PR for Space Force, and his name is F Tony, um, which, okay. but but the F his his name is F Tony Scarapaducci. He's a Space Force social media director, but he's played by Ben Schwartz, um, and Ben Schwartz. You might know him. He played John Ralphio in Parks and Rec, but also is part of a lovely other Netflix um, show called um, Middle Ditch and, and Schwartz. Schwartz, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Schwartz, yes. And uh, I don't know, have you seen that? Because it's... It, uh, no, I, I did. I checked it out. It's it. Merlin was really hot on it yeah. for a while, and so uh, no, we we do. There is a guy there, the Middle Ditch guy. He is on another show on network TV called Be Positive that we yes. watch. So yeah. I see him on a regular basis. So yeah. Well, 
So middle, it's the middle ditch and, and Schwartz is something that I would like to go back and watch. I remember watching it when it came out like early on in, in the midst of this pandemic and just being um, amazed, enthralled by it's, it's long form improv. And these, there are three mm, episodes yeah. and they're all like an hour long. Um, and it's the two, the, these two, you know, Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz and um, they. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. Sorry. I'm putting the, putting the pieces together. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and so they, um, it, it, it was more of like one of the episodes I thought was really, really funny. The other two episodes I didn't think was as funny, but it was ha just the talent of yeah. give, give, like, give me three things and we're going to do one full hour of improv was really it, it, it's not like anything i'd ever seen before right, and i think right. we had talked about it at the show and um our our friend um i think we have a code name for her, but i can't remember what what it is but let's let's call her deep geneseo um <laughs> and she knows who she is um she sent me a whole bunch of youtube clips uh of other long form improv that was awesome so i'll find those Again, I can't remember who who it was, but I I have them in my like special improv folder, um, and uh, and we'll put those in in show notes. But it's I've never seen like up up until then I'd never seen anything like it, and it made me just really really appreciate talent like that, and it was really, right, really cool. Right, right. So, um, the other thing that because this is the part of the show that people love where we talk about things that we watch, we we are fully in on Moon Knight, which is another one of these Disney um, produced or Disney housed Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel superhero stories. It's really, really good. So have you have you ventured there yet? Because I know you you watched Loki, you, you've been in to many of these. Have you seen any of Moon Knight yet? No, I have. I read the comic as a kid, um, but I have not. Um, uh, we have not started watching it yet. It is. It is on the radar. I did mention it to the person that controls the television in our house, and she is aware of it. So now, what we've been watching is um, something old and British because <laughs> that's our mo. Um, uh, and it's called Pie in the Sky. Oh, yeah. Is it good? I've seen it. It it's came up on. Um... It, maybe on Britbox. Yeah, it's it. We started it at one point, and then and then I really thought I really thought Kristen didn't like it, and so we didn't ever go back to it. But now we're no, we're all in, and it's just oh, which reminds me, there is an episode that I would very much like you to watch for home walk to watch for homework. Okay, um, which I think maybe I put in. Uh, I think I put it in here. Um, Put, oh, you know what? No, it's in my OmniFocus. I'll send it to you. There, there's an there's a, an episode that features because uh, it's a, it's a, it's again the, the gag is the guy's a semi-retired policeman who also runs a kitchen. There's lots of shots, lots of scenes in the kitchen, and there's one where a health inspector comes, and there's a whole lot of uh, sort of a B B plot, a subplot with uh, the health and health inspector, which uh, oh. I, I want to get your take on. It's kind of interesting. Okay, I will I will I'm, I will happily check that out. Um, I love health inspector comedy. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, the other, uh, the other thing that we just finished up last night was we just watched the series finale of killing Eve, which Ooh, is yeah, was yeah. quite a thing. So, yeah. 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 
Yeah, Danny and I were, um, well, Danny watched Killing Eve and I watched it in the background. And, uh, uh, but that was, yeah, that, that is, that's an excellent, and, and another excellent show. Um, the other thing in my, like, life, I, I went this last weekend to Boston to mm. watch the NCAA Frozen Four. So that's oh. the, the National Hockey Championships, Collegiate Championships. And it was... Uh, it was it was a nice it was a nice time it was it was interesting to return to like a packed arena mm. um with with many non non mask wearing individuals mm-hmm. um and, and it's also cold there ben i don't know oh, if you know that it's cold I, oh, uh, which may help the virus survive right right well oh, i'm aware of the cold because <laughs> i forgot of the that it was still winter until, <laughs> until i got yeah. to boston yeah uh, yeah yeah that's funny. Yeah, yeah, but but it was so I, I did um, this. Uh, I've been to the Frozen Four a few times. Um, I think this is the fourth time I've been to it, mm. third or fourth time with a, a couple of hockey friends. And th- this one, um, I, it was. I, I think I'm as I'm getting older, Don. I am more emotional than I was in the past. I don't know if that's a thing, but I so the the uh the eventual winners of the uh frozen four the university of denver this is their ninth national title wow so so they're like the yankees of and you know ncaa hockey the they beat uh, minnesota state university in the semifinals um or not in the finals don i i i'm just gonna be really honest i i've never even heard of minnesota state university before this year um and and it makes sense i mean you know i'm i'm at nc state north carolina state university i i'm sure that there's a new jersey state university or the state university of new jersey Rutgers, or whatever <laughs> but like it, it makes sense but it's not a it's not a, a school that's on my radar i don't know anybody there from an athletic standpoint um i i you know i'd never really um seen them compete they're in the frozen four last year but i didn't pay attention because i wasn't there but I'll tell you, they um, small, really small school. First time they appeared in the championship game, they uh, they lost, and the emo- we we happened to be sitting really close in between their bench and their their goaltender. So like in their zone, seeing like all of these players just like I'm like get really emotional, crying, their families crying, mm. like the the amount of. Um, I think about it from my 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 kids' standpoint because you you spend a lot of time and investment of emotion trying to get good at, at whatever it is you do, sport or or whatever. In many many cases, and the to get almost to that like top and then not and and then you know fail. It was re- like I almost I teared up. I I I did mm-hmm. not I didn't weep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I but was you like, get you a little misty, misty eyed. Yeah, oh my gosh! And I'm like, why? I don't understand what's happening. Why am I? What? Why am I so emotional? I have no connection. I've never even heard of this school. It, I watched them play on Thursday night. They won. It was great. I watched them play this game. I see the emotion, and then I'm caught up in it. And I'm finding this is happening to me when I watch TV shows, when I listen to a podcast that has a emotional story i'm like welling up i don't know what's happening um so 
I wanted to, it was on my list of things to tell you about because I wanted to know, and this, this, this just mainly you're, you act as my, as my therapist so often, <laughs> which you don't, I mean, you don't get a credit for, you don't get paid for, um, you're, you, I, I wouldn't say that you're a professional in this area, but you're good. I get to talk to you and you, you help me with things. Have you found as you've gotten older in life that this happened to you? Or is this an anomaly? Like, is this just, my question is like going to the bathroom more, which I also am doing as I get older <laughs> and my eyes starting to fail. Is this just part of aging or is this, is this something else? I think you might have a brain tumor. <laughs> I might, I might. Thank you. Thank you for your professional opinion. No, it's, I, I have, I'm always been the kind of person that will, uh, will react emotionally, uh, to things that I'm watching, you know, uh, television shows, movies, things like that. Um, the, you know, one, one common thing we will often watch, um, uh, the Special Olympics or the there's a like a Ironman competition. Kristen, Kristen will get especially emotional yeah. around around sports and stuff like that. Me me less so, but but yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a thing. But I haven't noticed I haven't noticed that that has changed much over time. Okay, um, but uh, certainly it's not a bad a bad thing. I mean, I think it's a it's a good thing. So. I, I'm not yeah, yeah. I'm not um, I, I'm I'm I, I'm not um, pushing it away. I'm certainly like embracing my my emotion, but it's not something I, I really think since I had kids, it, mm. something there's some some different trigger there where all of a yeah. sudden I like project someone else's emotion and I'd be like, oh, what if that was my kid? I would feel really mm -hmm. upset, too. Right. Like that. That yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, I think having that, I think having that empathy is it's a, it's a good thing, especially, especially for a, a department head. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's just really good. It's a good it's a good, uh, you know thing to cultivate well and, and you know i, I when we've we've gone through this on the uh uh 37 things right the the, mm -hmm. the strength finders i rank very low on empathy so i don't know huh. yeah yeah right like yeah I'm, yeah uh, i don't know i mean i guess it's different di different empathy for different situations um yeah well and, that, and it depends on how they write the questions and things like that. right right so, right yeah so yeah anyway that's like that, that's kind of been my since I, since I talked to you, we had a really good episode last episode with Bill Marler. That's kind of the stuff that's been going mm -hmm. on with me. I don't, um, we're, we're, we're like all past hockey season. Um, we're just, we're just hanging out here, here at home and I'm doing, uh, food safety things and department head things. And that's pretty much it. Cool. Well, yeah. So as I, I think I shared via text message, um, something that made me a little bit <laughs> a little bit sad not really um was uh that my my ember mug was not working correctly and so i got a, i got a new it was really it really bugged me it's like man i want my hot coffee um turns out i think the problem was that i just got a little water in the charging base but Ooh. it's okay i still treated myself to a new a new mug um, and I got, and th there's a second generation, the Ember Mug 2 or Ooh. Ember Mug, the second power, um, uh, which comes in a variety that has a metallic collection. Uh, and I got the stainless steel. So I have a new, a new Ember Mug, which I really, I really like. And I also have an old Ember Mug that still works. But so as sometimes, but well, I think it, it mostly works. What, what is one thing that's interesting is I think that the, the new, it, it seems like based on my limited investigation, the new mug will not charge to capacity on the old charging uh, 
panel. Oh. It will charge, but it won't charge all the way to hundred percent. So, huh. um, so I, anyway, now I've got, I'm all stainless steel now. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm, 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 I'm back, but you know, one, and this is again, talk about, uh, you know, sensitivity to things. I had the old mug set at 140 mm-hmm. and the, the, the default setting is 135. Yes. There is a big difference between 135 and 140. It really like, and, and I've noticed it, especially with my coffee at 140, my coffee over time, because I put milk in it, will develop a skin on the top at 135. It doesn't do that. Huh. So I think I might stick with 135. So I'm, let me look at what I think I'm at a one. I, I think I have it set at 141 or something. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could set it to anything you want. Yeah, I think it was one, one, 140. No, 140, 140 is what I have it set at. So you, have you gone down to 135? Is that what you're saying? I, I'm, li- I'm leaving. I'm playing. I'm leaving it at 135 for now to see to see how it how it goes. All yeah. right, I'm I, I'm gonna join you in that uh, in that. Uh, experiment let's say excellent um so there's i mean there's a bunch of food safety things going on um fda has not had a good week (laughs) um i i want to talk i definitely want to talk about that um there's uh we there's many there's many topics for another show that we do risk or not that have hit us from a variety of different different places uh, that, that I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Um, my my like I guess big world of um, food safety. I'm gonna share with you something that I don't think I put into the um, the uh, Dropbox folder, but we did some research uh, in my group. A couple of things. One, we had a, a paper come out uh last week i think it was on the what wouldn't what essentially became the dangers of chicken washing um hmm. i'm not sure if you were familiar with that uh with that practice or not mm-hmm. i am i am um and uh so we finally we th- this is something that we have um talked about quite a bit over the course of probably our entire podcast history um but uh, we we did some observational study work about four years ago now that finally has made its way through approval with the federal government through the peer review process and published in the Journal of Food Protection. The uh, paper is entitled Observational Study of the Impact of a Food Safety Intervention on Consumer Poultry Washing. And the the big thing that we that we found in this, there are, there are a couple of things that kind of surprised me. And I'm going to re rehash some of the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast before, as it relates to this study. But one of the things that that we found was that there is a, quite a bit of cross contamination from uh, poultry. In in our case, we know it came from the the poultry in our study because we used a surrogate that. Um, had a, a a molecular marker on it and could only have been from our study. So we added that into this into this poultry. Uh, and then after the study, like after the observers came into a kitchen, or sorry, the observees came to a kitchen and prepared um, ch- chicken in a, in a salad dish, we found a lot of the, um, or I shouldn't say a lot, traces of the surrogate also in salad. 
and and so it was we're we're, we're still i mean we we talked a little bit about it in the in the paper but my my biggest thought process is that um the cross contamination in, in in this case is is most likely coming from food preparation that's happening in the sink which is a weird spot for food preparation to happen but it's things like rinsing salad or rinsing uh leafy greens and that we found through our environmental swabs a whole bunch of our um, non-pathogenic e coli in sinks and post wash um or sorry post chicken washing even more but also we ask people to clean and sanitize or basically clean up like they would at home and there's very little cleanup that happens so so essentially the the um the, there's contamination that ends up in the sink basin rinsing of leafy greens afterwards and and we think that there's like bouncing and cross contamination and so anyway the the paper is finally out there we we've had it in one you know government document but now i, I just wanted to highlight that 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 work is there and so so go check it out and uh and see see if you agree with our our conclusions yeah and it's it's interesting so i'm just reading the abstract right now and so you're basically looking at um does it work to tell people to not wash their chicken yes and what you learned was it's not really about washing the chicken it's really you could you can yes you can you can get them to not wash the chicken you can educate them about that but that's not really the problem right if, if i yes it might yeah so and and even those people who so we recruited individuals who self-reported being chicken washers right. so we started with a population which is a um already this is a, a something that they do at home a, a practice that they're comfortable with then we try to change that behavior which we 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 did um and we we did this um really through um si trying to simulate um social media uh and, and sort of tagged on e in email messages you know like when people have stuff below their signature of like you know mm -hmm. a thought of the day or a quote from hunter mm -hmm. s thompson mm -hmm. well we put don't don't wash your chicken <laughs> and 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 by doing that really passively, right? Like it's not, someone's not looking for that information. Um, we did see change in, in that behavior, but the more, I guess, interesting finding from our study was regardless of washing chicken or not, sinks get contaminated with chicken, chicken juice, more so when washed, but even when not, whether it's handling the chicken, whether it's handling the packaging, pathogens end up there and the, or and I, I shouldn't say pathogens surrogates end up there or our surrogate did um so the thought is that would indicate that probably pathogens do too uh but then migrate back to other food from the preparation that's happening in that sink so yeah that's that's exactly the um the story that we that we kind of took away from this um it's, your mention of Hunter S. Thompson reminds me of uh, this um, daily daily routine. 3 p.m., oh. rise. 3.05, Chivas Regal with the morning papers. Dunhills. 3.45, cocaine. 3.50, another glass of Chivas. Dunhills. 
405, first cup of coffee, Dunhills, 415, cocaine, 416, orange juice. It just goes on. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the all-time greats. Um, yeah. So anyway, we had that um that study out there, and I'm I'm just excited about it. And it's also you'll you'll notice, I get or maybe not, maybe you maybe you wouldn't notice unless I told you about it. But this is me sort of purposefully stepping back as being the media contact in a lot of the stuff that we're doing. So mm-hmm. you'll see um, Ellen Shoemaker and, and Lisa mm-hmm. Shelley, who are both really the individuals who did the majority, leading all, all the majority of the work on this on this project anyway. Um, but I'm, I'm really being purposeful in um, just like, I don't know, uh, letting letting others lead in that in that mm-hmm. arena um and and then spending my time on uh, carpets and glue uh, and, and stuff like that carpets and glue carpets and glue um so that yeah so we had that we had that kind of kind of cool stuff happen and i I'm, I'm really like um i don't know it's it's one of these things that i'm i'm excited that that paper's out there because i've mm-hmm. been talking about chicken washing for seven years. And most of what we knew about what was happening was in, in a, the sense of pathogen spread or potential came out of some work that, that was from um, uh, Camden BRI, which was good work, but it was um, simulated. And so we got to do this with actual people and get a sense of what it's more like in someone's kitchen. So, yeah. And this, this is, this is just a fast, this is why we do science, right? Because you you learn some really interesting things here that were not expected, right? right? I mean, I don't think you you. Uh, I guess what you were what you were hoping or what you expected to find was that you that people did, that would wash their chicken um, would would wash their chicken less after the intervention, and people that didn't receive the intervention would still go on washing their chicken, and they they would have much more contaminated chicken, and it, it's just not true. Right. Exactly. Like the, and it's, it's one of these like dogmatic messages that, that I feel like we've made some um, progress in, in sort of talking about it amongst the food safety education world, right? Like if you, if, if we polled a, a, a hundred of our food safety professionals about chicken washing, I, what, like, and, and if we gave them a risky or not question, chicken washing, risky or not, right? Mm-hmm. It, it would be the, you know, I don't know, close to 100% say, yes, it's risky to, to wash your chicken. And what we found here was, yeah, it's it's risky to wash your chicken, but it's also risky to not wash your chicken, <laughs> right? Like, and, and handling right. chicken, how we do it yeah. from start to finish, that's, there, there, are, there are multiple risk factors. So yeah, let's not... You know, let, let's not always fixate on don't wash your chicken. What what I've learned and how I've sort of changed my messaging is cleaning and sanitizing after handling chicken is really important. Right. <laughs> that, right. That, that you know, and and if you're gonna do stuff in your sink that you might not think about your sink as a contamination hub because it's the place where you clean things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, our study here sort of demonstrates that it actually can be a contamination hub. So you should pay attention to cleaning and sanitizing it. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's not washing chicken. That's risky. It's just chicken. That's risky. Right. Right. right? 
Yeah. And and yeah. washing chicken might be a little bit more risky, but they're both risky. <laughs> right, right, right. What's really driving the risk is is the behavior. It's not really the washing behavior that's driving the risk, right? It's other behaviors. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. So, yeah, so this is, um, and, and I, it kind of closes the circle on, or is that the right term? Whatever my cliche is there. Closes the loop, mm -hmm. completes the circle. Um, on uh, the the deception aspect of our deception study that had the police called um, that that led to the police being called by me on mm -hmm. me uh, from a participant who was really upset about how we how we, what how we deceived him, which in turn led to a, a real and we'll we'll link to I, I'm sure we can find this for show notes an episode where we talked about that extensively and in real time. But it led to my introduction and and still um, commitment to institutional review board processes so much so that I'm now for the last, I guess, three or four years, maybe longer, four years, five years, I've been a member of NC State's IRB. And it's a, um, it has been an experience that has made me a better researcher and just a better um, steward of research and participants. Like just think, it, it made me think so much differently about not, not ever wanting to put someone into a position where they were so upset about something that I was responsible for. Um, and, and it, and it wasn't like I was, you know, in the, um, in the, in the wrong or not following the, the procedures or anything like that. It's, it's that these unintended events can happen and it's important to reflect on them for me, it's been important for me, but then also just, it's made me so much more um, thoughtful about people that, that I interact with and people that are, our studies interact with and people as um, owners of their own data and participants and the, the, the respect that we need to, to have for, for people. And, and it's interesting, I have, I have a lens now where I, Every once in a while, and hopefully this doesn't sound like high and mighty or, or anything like that, but every once in a while, I'll either speak with another researcher or read something in someone's IRB application that that makes me, or, or hear a story about someone that's like, oh, you, you, the that the participants are a means to an end for for that individual. And it's like, no, we, we need to, if, if we didn't have the, the, respect and participation of uh, of human subjects and that we need to protect them we wouldn't be able to do any human subject research right like we've got to do it in a way that is um that makes us good stewards of 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 our participants so so it's it's like this that it, when i when that paper got published and we had some coverage on it it's like it brought all of that back to me um so yeah so we got so so that that kind of stuff is has been um, it's been fun in the last, uh, I don't know, last couple of weeks. Um, uh, where I, I, so I don't know if you saw this Dawn, but I put a couple of things into the, um, in, into our Dropbox folder about warning letters. Cause you know how I love warning letters. Oh yes. And so, um, let me see, what is it that I wanted to talk about here? So, um, 
There was one here from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, about, okay. So this one really caught my eye. So this is a uh, warning letter that came out on uh, March 17th to Honey Feast Incorporated. And so this was, um, and I'll, I'll just read from, from this. This is to advise you, dear, dear Mr. Sanford, this is to advise you that Food and Drug Administration reviewed your website at, at the internet address honeyfeast.com and was de and has determined that you take orders there for the products raw honeycomb tupelo honey raw blah 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 whole bunch of different things um and the claims on your website establish that these products are drugs under section blah 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 because they're intended for the use and cure mitigation treatment or prevention of disease this is the first time i had kind of seen like we had talked we had talked about some of this stuff um early on in COVID about some of the warning letters that that we saw about cures for COVID but I wanted to like highlight a couple of things that I thought was that, that I thought were really interesting and I bet that the reason why the reason why this exists and and that these warning letters come out is because the businesses don't know what they're doing is like they're not trying to break the law but i think they don't know that it's not okay to do this and so um they have a couple of blog posts uh blog entry titled honey's other amazing benefits says these phytonutrients are where many amazing antioxidants in honey are sourced from and give honey its antifungal and antibacterial powers it is believed that honey gets its anti-cancer and immunity boosting properties as a result of these phytonutrients and well as well studies have shown honey to be an effective treatment against the h pylori bacteria commonly responsible for stomach ulcers and then there's a whole bunch of other things that they say honey is great for home remedies and other posts honey is an effective cough suppressant can be used to treat wounds it was found to do better at suppressing a cough than the common ingredient found in most over-the-counter counter cough medicines um and so I, I I thought about this and thought this is where that line between a food product and a medicine exists. And I bet when someone who just wants to sell honey and thinks, oh, people like honey, they, there's all these um, sort of urban myths or, or traditional uses for honey. So I know people talk about this and I'm just going to put it on my website. And this is where I love that we have a system because this is the part of the podcast where we'll talk about the good things that FDA does. Um, <laughs> now, wait a minute. Was that a little bit of dramatic <laughs> foreshadowing? Ben, does that mean we're going to talk about uh, wow. the bad stuff that FDA does or doesn't no, do? We're going to talk about the things that Politico says the FDA does. Oh, the Politico says. Yeah, okay. Uh, in a minute. But anyway, this one, okay. I thought it was really like you see these things. I don't know if like how often you walk through um maybe pre-pandemic dawn but if you would go to a farmer's market i think you'd often see hand written signs with things like this right and fda can't be out at every farmer's market to mm -hmm. look for use this as an effective cops cough suppressant um but i think it's really good that fda is on the lookout for this kind of stuff on websites and really just the you know, first of all, it's it's not science based. Secondly, it's it's breaking a, a, a you know a law around um, drugs, 
And, uh, it, you know, I, I think it's really, um, I think it's good that, that stuff like this happens. And, that, and it doesn't, you know, you and I are about the only people that take notice of these warning letters um, every Wednesday morning when they come out and I get an email about them. But, but I, I just, I appreciate these. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. And then the other one, I can't remember exactly what I put it in here for, but we'll link to it. There was a whole bunch of chutney that had some, uh, oh, undeclared sulfates or sulfites in it. Uh, and so I, again, like I think about this from the aspect of an allergen, someone who's, who's looking for allergy reasons to avoid foods, having undeclared sulfites in some of these boutique or artisanal uh, foods is really a problem because you know the, the, you don't have a choice to to avoid it if you can't see it on the uh, on the label. Yeah, yeah, and, and for most people it doesn't matter, but right. if you're sensitive to sulfites, guess what? It really matters. It really matters. Yeah. So so anyway, and, and I'm you know the, 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 I'm I'm always on the lookout for these, and I'll keep doing them. Um, so Casey gave us something. You want to talk yeah. about this? Yeah, this was really interesting. So this is uh, so we had um, uh, a recent guest of the on the show, uh, Casey Liss from uh, the very popular hit podcast, Accidental Tech Podcast, um, uh, saw this and, and sent this to me. And so this is from Richmond Biz Sense, um, where and the headline is local vending machine startup pivots after spat with health department. And so this was, this was really interesting. And so there's this company in Richmond called Elia, which stands for Eat Like Your Ancestors. And so basically, this guy, the guy that runs this company, um, wanted to basically s- s- vend meals from high-end vending machines. Um, and, uh, and it ran afoul of the state health department, right? So he had worked with the local health department, I guess, and the locals were fine with it. Um, but and I, th- I guess the issue was that, so something about the, so they, they, they pivoted, they spent a lot of money on these vending machines. And so what they're doing now is they're still using the vending machines, but they're only selling prepackaged items. And I guess the idea was that somebody could, um, because of the way the vending machine was designed, somebody could tamper with the prepared meals unless somebody was there actually monitoring the vending machine in person, which of course uh, eliminates the whole idea of why you would have a vending machine, right? As you want it when there's not, when there's not people there. So so, so I guess I guess that was the again. It's hard to tell exactly without without pictures, but but I guess the idea is that, that you would sort of be on your honor to not contaminate other meals after you got them out of the out of you got after you got your meal out of the vending machine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think exactly right, right. So the the idea was, um, like our ancestors, you would go to a vending machine, <laughs> uh, swipe your credit card, open a fridge, and pull out a meal or a snack, and and there wasn't a way you know, like a grab and go kiosk that, that you would see elsewhere usually has someone there monitoring it. And so that, that was the, the problem. And I thought that was really, I thought it was really interesting. And you know, like you said that the local health department was, was fine with this and the state health department was, was not. And that there, like, there was a, inconsistency or in inability 
to to um, interpret the rule at, at two different at two different levels. And so I'm I'm really interested in, in learning more about this. You know, we we have enough friends in the in the world of um, Virginia, <laughs> the the great Commonwealth of Virginia, I think it is. Um, and and so I, I want to know more more about it. Um, here, it sort of talks about having this designated person in charge present during all hours of operation and the, the vending machine would not have that. And, and it goes back to yeah. some, one of our popular topics of robots, um, <laughs> in, in robots in, in the world of food safety uh, from a vending machine standpoint. Yeah, and I guess so. I I I made a printout of the of the web page, but I'm looking at the actual web page now, and there is a photo. And I guess it's kind of on the honor system, right? You you swipe your credit card, you open the door, yeah, and then you just take out what you purchased, yeah. And yep. so I guess the idea is that that these are, and the, the picture shows all um, prepackaged items, uh, tamper-proof items, and so I guess somebody could. Um, um, you know, if it, if it wasn't in a tamper-proof container, I guess somebody could, you know, sprinkle a little bit of salmonella in the other servings. I, I, I guess that's the idea, which I guess makes it makes sense. I, I, I would I would ask the, the, the state people if they were here on the podcast, I would say, well, just show me show me where it says in the code that you have to have this well, right? because you yeah. don't have this at a salad bar. No, right? but but there is someone at a salad bar because they are a person oh, in charge. Oh, yeah. Right? So good point. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, theoretically, I mean, there's not somebody at the salad bar, Correct. but there's somebody salad bar adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an interpretation, right? Like right. here's the, um, in the, uh, in the article it says, um, Elia's original business model did not conform to Virginia's food regulations that require all food establishments to have a designated person in charge present during all hours of operation. And then like follow up. So in that same paragraph, I thought it was really interesting that says um, Ilya pursued a variance to this requirement, but due to insufficient documentation, the request was denied. VDH offered to work on an amended variance, but in the end, Ilya decided not to pursue the variance in February 2022. So, so it, it seems like there was something that was workable. And again, we don't have all the the details of that, but um, but I I, I want to know more. And we need we need we need people on the inside to tell us more about this. Um, and the and I think your your example of a salad bar is is excellent, right? Like that. Um, is there any difference between let let's say video monitoring or whatever, right, um, of a vending machine or a salad bar in a six thousand square foot uh, dining facility where there is a person in charge, but they are in their office. Right, right. Like, and I, I, I would submit to you a, a vending machine with a continuous video loop um, that is reviewed on request. Right, yeah, is actually a better. It's, it's not, it's not proactive. It would be retroactive, right? Like yep. it would identify somebody after they've committed the tampering offense, right? But, um, but it would be better than uh, somebody in a restaurant who's in an office that can can and, and they have no way of reconstructing what happened at the salad bar, right? Right, right, right. And um, the the other thing that I think that that um, have you have you been to to uh, have you ever been to Target, 
Don, do you know about I have. that? I was there just the other day. Okay. Now, have you gone through the the self checkout? Are you a self checkout? Oh, you, you, well, I am a self checkout person, but honestly, when I go to the local Target, um, I just go to the Starbucks store in the Target. Oh well, yeah. So it's a, not a self checkout there. Um, no. But, Although but, it was sort of the other day, there was nobody there. It was it's weird because there was nobody in the Starbucks. There was a sign saying temporarily closed, but I could have just taken some coffee and left if I wanted to. Or I wonder if I could have taken the coffee and scanned myself out at the Starbucks. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, maybe. Oh, I'm like I tempted to getting... try it, but yeah. Well, so at at the Starbucks or not the Starbucks at Target, this is the place that I noticed it first. I think it happens at other self checkouts. But there is a, I, I just sent you a link to an old Medium article about this. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there is a, a, for those who are not in the U.S. who listen to our show or those who are in the U.S. and have never shopped at a Target, um, the self-checkouts in almost everywhere that I've been Target-wise in the last year or so, there's video cameras and it says uh, monitoring in progress. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think that regardless of whether it's reviewed in real time or not, the announcement of um, monitoring and prog progress has a Hawthorne effect. Um, are, you, are you familiar with that? I um, will be in just a second. <laughs> yeah, so, so it is, um, you, we'll, we'll read directly from the Wikipedia page. It's a type of reactivity in which individuals modify an aspect of their behavior in response to their awareness of being observed. And oh. it's um, so so in my in my world of observing people who make food handling uh, who are doing food preparation for food handling, food safety, um, we always have to account for the Hawthorne effect, right? That someone's going to change what they do because they know they're being watched. And in some aspects, they try to do better because they want to please a researcher that's another and i can't remember what that is called but it it exists um or in other ways they want to do they want to do better or do or assimilate to what they think is the right behavior because they don't want to look dirty um when it comes to like hand washing anyway i i think that Ilya could make the case and maybe they did and maybe it wasn't video monitoring as part of the modification of this but i think they could make the case that having an observe like being able to observe somebody even um reactively has an impact on behavior and you know if i know that someone that i'm um that when i go and swipe my card uh, like my ancestors did um that 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 someone might be watching me i'm I, my hypothesis would be i'm less likely to contaminate that food or which it's at the heart of the Virginia food regulation um, for for PIC is that if someone's there, I'm they they can manage food safety better, right? Like I I, I could right. see that being um, a science based successful path to a variance. Right, right, exactly. So anyway, maybe we we know we know people in the in the Commonwealth in the food safety world. So maybe. Uh, Maybe I'll reach out to them and see if they know more about this. In fact, I think I know someone who's on the variance committee. As I whispered that, um, so yeah, yeah. Let's check let, let's, more more about this maybe in future follow up. Um, so one of the things that we had in the um, in our homework to do was 
to watch Ugly Delicious. And and do, I'm not sure. So I, what I see here, Don, is the Ugly Delicious transcript. Yes. Did you did you watch? Did, could you did you did you do your homework? I I watched it. Um, and then I said, you know, that's good, but I, I really wonder if there's a transcript because I didn't, I was sort of lazy and I didn't want to go back. Um, uh, and, um, <laughs> I didn't want to go back and, and watch it again. And so, and, but I, I did want to get the exact language. Yeah. Um, did you watch it? Did you do your homework? Uh, so ish. Well, so, so in the sense that I read the transcript, uh, <laughs> in preparation for today or and, and let me let me go go back I, I think i found the part of the transcript transcript that we were to talk about um right. and uh and and that but i i download so actually i downloaded this episode with to watch while i was traveling to boston to go watch the frozen four and i watched space force instead so i kind of uh -huh. peanut, I half peanut buttered stealing a term from one of our favorite podcasts due by friday uh on this week's challenge so, so anyway, what did, so what did you get out of this when you watched? So, it? yeah. So, well, first of all, we should say friend of the show, uh, Hannah, Hannah was yeah. very, very upset about this. Yes. Um, and, and I think, and I, I, I was less upset, but I certainly, I don't want to, you know, minimize her upsetness about it. Um, but because in the context of the whole show, the, the I, I I just thought I was just intrigued by the whole show, and I, I really was very interested about it. But but yeah, and so what I'll do is I'll read. I'll you can find the transcript, but yep. this is and as Hannah indicated, it occurs in the middle of the show um, when that when they're going to a sushi restaurant, and so um, and it's a the transcript is a, is not as helpful as watching it, but uh, <laughs> but basically um, I'll read to you from the transcript. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they give you this list, hot dogs and sushi and oysters, and it's just so hard to figure out which things were like important. I got very frustrated and I'm an economist. I'm like a data person. So I ended up just like trying to basically use research to sort to sort of figure out not only like are these things right, but also why right. Like, am I not supposed to have turkey? And like many of these restrictions, there's nothing special about being pregnant. Nah, okay, no, but we'll come right, back to right. that. Like if you eat bad sushi or a bad oyster, you can get sick no matter what, no matter what. And it doesn't pass to the baby. See, now that's just wrong, right? right like right. some of those foods are on that list because of listeria, which guess what? That's the whole reason why pregnant women are told to avoid it. It does pass to the baby and it can kill the baby, right? I mean, right, it's, right. you know, so, so it's, I mean, the person is making a valid point in that, yes, you eat bad sushi, you're going to get sick, whether you're pregnant or not. But the, the, actually the other thing too, now that I think about it, this does, you know, one of the things, I don't know how much you know about pregnancy, Ben, but it's almost like there's a little parasite inside the woman's <laughs> body. And, and then her body has to do certain things to avoid like fighting off that parasite. Right. right and right. so we, we know, I believe this is true. It's not my area of expertise, but I believe women's immune system, women, when they are pregnant, their immune systems change. And they may actually be more vulnerable, right? And so we would tell them, yes, you know, stay away from risky food, riskier foods like sushi, the sushi that's made with raw fish, because guess what? You are in a vulnerable state. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I think the, you know, um, I, I read through the transcript and, and I sort of read 
a little before and a little after on on the what you just highlighted and and i a couple of things that i took away from this mm -hmm. one is it is like this is the show that we get to say this right it is complicated and it does depend and and i think that one of the things that we struggle with in food safety communication and education is all of this it's a complication that ends up being frustrating to people and that's that you know that that's what it what it sounds like from from this transcript like don't eat this don't eat this don't eat this do eat this do this here are the things that you need to worry about you're at a time where so much at least thinking about it from when you know when when we had kids there's so much like new especially your first kid new information coming at you right like your 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 life's about to change for a, a, a lot of different reasons you, you you're preparing for so many of those changes whether that's like getting a room ready for where the baby's going to be to thinking about how you're going to handle childcare and and all of the like life's changes and then here's a list of foods that you shouldn't eat right mm -hmm. and i appreciate the the comments here in the episode where it's like but why right like and, and it's right here like why am i not supposed to have turkey um right and like right. many of those restrictions there's nothing special about being pregnant it's like you said well, let's not talk about that but i do really really appreciate the comment of why am i not supposed to have turkey and we don't do a good job explaining right. that from the food safety world to the medical world so in turn those doctors can explain that to pregnant individuals Right. Like turkey's turkey's fine. What you don't want is you don't want pre-sliced turkey deli meat. Right. right? Like you, you can cook a roast turkey. It's but just fine. And, complicated, and actually, right? we'll, yeah, and it well, it, yeah, it's it sort of complicated. It's not that complicated. Well, I mean, I've got a PhD in 30 years experience, but yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's, a, yeah, but I mean, like, so for example, I, I, the, if you Google uh, foods not to eat when you're pregnant, the top hit that comes up for me is actually an Australian webpage. That's really nice. That's, it's really nice and clear. And it talks about why you don't want to eat certain kinds of cheese. Well, I mean, they did, they don't capitalize or italicize listeria, but other than that, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. They talk about, you know why and this is an interesting one you don't want to consume liver products uh because they contain a lot of vitamin a and too much vitamin a can can harm the harm the baby so that that was i didn't know if i knew that so anyway um well, yeah and and this is the the thing right like so this is the the part that i think is complicated here where the or at least thinking about it from the perspective of this of this pregnant individual right what what was heard was don't eat turkey Right. Right. And, and, and it, and it's like, and, and I get it like, well, why not? And it's, well, no, like you said, it's deli Turkey that is cold and ready to eat because certainly I can eat deli Turkey. That's been reheated to above, you know, I think we could find lots of different numbers here, but I'd be comfortable with 135. Um, for yeah. this, yeah. right. Like, so, so that kind of message, it, it is when you're getting sushi, Turkey, soft cheeses, raw milk you know name all the the foods that we that we suggest that, that pregnant individuals avoid oysters um and, and and then like the fact that the the medical professional which really and you know i i i've probably shared lots of stories about this in um uh, you know over the the course of uh, of this show but like we we got some like not great advice from our pediatrician 
about teething and chewing on raw vegetables or not sorry frozen uncooked vegetables like so so it's kind of like and it, it, there, it gets sometimes the the science-based message gets lost in the details and it and I, mm -hmm. I get it it is it is frustrating and it's and, it, and the problem is it is complicated <laughs> yeah but but yeah it could well be especially if you're an economist uh you know and you and you like data yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well and you like data but then then you do your own research because that's the thing that that we do a lot of now um with uh -huh. the we you know in the midst of a pandemic um and uh and you know you then you get stuff like the your your doctor says uh it's okay just don't have a lot of it like it's occasionally okay to have a glass of wine but does that mean also it's occasionally okay that i eat a little bit of deli meat turkey um and, and so anyway i think yeah. that there was uh it, it, so kind of peanut buttered on it but but i got enough out of the transcript um but i do like one of the things that i i feel really is, has been awesome about just us doing this podcast and being out there is that people are consuming a lot of different media and then they see food safety things and they send it to us yeah. And keep it up, right? Like I want, right. I want more of this, because um, I, 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 even though I had all plans to watch it, I, I'm glad that we have a transcript to look at. <laughs> yeah, even though I won't do my homework, please send me more. Uh so, um, what else? What else do we have in here? We get some feedback on the uh, cold soak, no cook backpacking meals. Did we do? We haven't done that feedback yet, have we? I don't think so. So what 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 kind of feedback did did you want to talk about on this one? <laughs> um, let me uh, let me so shoot. Um, okay, uh, what uh, is is there something? I think someone we did a cold soak no backpack right no oh no yes cook, sorry um, risky or not and then okay, someone sorry, must yeah. have sent us more no, I, what, yeah sorry I, I I just was looking for the document to to prompt me so. Uh, so basically, um, hmm, yeah. So what I did, all right. I'll have to go. I'll have to go. So yeah. So again, I wish, I wish there was a way. I guess we could just have a document where we save URLs. Um, uh, let's like see. a Google Doc. Yeah, we could like do that. Google Doc. We could do that. Um, let's let me get this up here. Um, that you know, maybe we should transition. Maybe we oh, should I'll go somewhere else. I'm ready. Say. Yeah. So no, 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 no. I mean, we, we should, we should pivot in, you know, we oh. should talk about this, but we should, we, we should, we should change the way that we, we do show notes, Ben. Okay. We can do that, that might be that we should think about that anyway. Um, I, listen to, that. I listen to many podcasts um, where, where a hot topic of the show is how the show notes are. Uh, well, the internal show notes, like the show, not the, sh the show notes, not the other show notes are collate, collated and shared so co-hosts can see them before, yes. including things that I never thought about, like a cursor resting spot. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, we- I, And I'm, we I'm, do I'm, that I'm, for our other show, Ben. We do, we do. We do, we do. We do. So, all uh, right. So, yeah, so so I, I so thank you for, for stalling there. So what I did was after we recorded the show, um, uh, I wrote uh, a comment on this blog 
post. And I said, I don't do too much backpacking these days, but I did my share when my sons were in scouts. I do think there are some potential food safety concerns with extended soak times. Soaking for two or even four hours is probably okay. With longer times, uh, there's a possibility that pathogenic spore-forming bacteria in the dry food will be able to grow to levels that can cause illness, just FYI. And then I also put in some links to the podcast. Um, those got taken out. So, okay, whatever, fine. Um, but when you when you post something here, you can put a web page. And so the first the first place I posted, if you click on my name, it takes you to my Rutgers website, which is me, my way of saying, look at me, I'm an expert, right? Like I actually, you know, I, I have some credentials here to make this comment. Um, the response from somebody else is, why wouldn't it grow in your gut if that's the case? Which is actually a good question, right? Yeah. yeah. Like if you're worried about bacteria, they're just gonna grow in your gut. And, and of course my answer, Ben, is guess what? It's complicated, right? It's got, right. Um, even a single cell can cause illness, but if you let them multiply in the food first, this increases the risk. Um, and there, if you click on my name, it actually takes you to episode uh, 276, um, of risky or not. And so I got my, I got my link in there, um, even though they wouldn't let me put a link in there. So, yeah. Oh, well, so good. anyway, so that's, that's there. all I wanted to share is my, is my, my uh, relatively unsuccessful eff efforts to educate these people about the risks of what they're doing. All right. That's, and, and we're, we're in the, in the no cook, uh, backpacking space now. Yeah, um, it's, it's ish. We're we're in this yeah. ish in the ish ish in the space. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let me uh, let me go to something else I wanted to talk about. This goes okay. back uh, a couple of weeks, but I saw this article, um, and so I'm highlighting the this for you, Don. It is in uh, Starbucks innovates, tests, and learns from store partners to achieve waste goals. Uh, I don't know. The, you know, this probably came across. My, I, I do a lot of Apple News uh, these days. Anyway, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Starbucks, okay, our goal, this comes like directly from Starbucks. Our mm -hmm. goal, um, not, not your goal, my goal, Starbucks goal, by 2025 is to create a cultural movement towards reusables by giving customers easy access to a personal or Starbucks provided reusable cup for every visit making it convenient to reuse wherever customers are enjoying their Starbucks experience. By the end of next year, customers will be able to use their own personal reusable cups for every Starbucks visit in the US and Canada, including cafe, drive-through, and mobile order and pay. To, to make reusables convenient for customers, we're testing multiple reusable programs and operating mo mo um, models. So one is borrow a cup. And so I'm again, I'm reading mm. directly from Starbucks. Customers order their drink in a designated Starbucks reusable cup designed to be returned to stores, professionally cleaned and reused by other Starbucks customers. So, and I'll add, it makes sense to say clean, but I think they mean clean and sanitized because that's the soapbox that I'm on today. Mm -hmm. um, it's been tested in Seattle, blah, blah, blah. Then there's 100% reusable operating models. Single use cups are eliminated entirely in favor of reusables, personal cups, or here for here wear. Um, and that's been tested. I don't know what for here where is, um, but it, it is encouraging customers to bring their own cup and emphasizing Starbucks provided for here where as the default sit and stay experience. So I think it means like when you go into a German um, like brew house, is that the brew, brew house? That's H-A-U-S. 
Um, they, they have, or beer house, they, uh, they've got your, your boot is on the wall and you can unlock it and you drink your, out of your own boot or your own Stein. I think that's what Starbucks is going to do. You leave your cup there and. Oh, wow. Yeah. But anyway, I, I read this and I thought, I love this. I know we've talked a lot about, um, early on sort of the early on in the pandemic, the knee jerk reaction to um reusable cups and covid concerns and reusable bags i think that this is really like i think it's innovative i'm a i'm a fan of this i also think this is going to give many local regulators heart attacks mm -hmm. because the cleaning and sanitizing of these um personal use items and the reuse of these is good like there's good science on how to do this and there are good procedures on how to do it but starbucks is going to have to prove it to like four thousand different local <laughs> and, and right like yep. so yep. so i mean best of luck starbucks um i'm i'm here for this this is the this is the kind of content i come to your stores for but um but gosh i think it's gonna be uh i think it's gonna be difficult and and it's i i, I just hope that um I hope there are good state regulators that can help local regulators evaluate the risks of this and be able to um, to show how to do this within the framework of the existing local regulations. Yeah, and I'll share also like, and I, I know I've talked before about this and I'll see if I can, it's hard to find a link to this, but basically there is a current CFP committee that's dealing with the idea of reusable containers and, and to, but it's much more expansive than just this little right. thing that they're trying to do here at Starbucks. So, um, and it's hard, like this is, this group is really, they're doing great, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a hard problem to solve, even to just wrap your head around it. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, but this is the kind of thing that I, I almost like, and I'll, I'll, I'll say something um, really, really nice about our friend, um, Frank Giannis from, from FDA, who I can't refer, remember exactly what he was referred to on Dubai Friday, but I thought it was funny uh, back in the day. Um, mm -hmm. But when he was at Walmart, uh, he spoke somewhere and, and I'll paraphrase it. It, it was something about the changing of what Walmart was going to accept for performance standards for their poultry. And it was around either salmonella or campylobacter. And again, I'll get all the details wrong, but one of the things that, that he said that I, that has always stuck with me is, you know, Walmart had the power because there's such a massive buying entity to mm -hmm. not only change it, change the rules for those who sell to Walmart, like all their products, but the trickle effect of that would have impacts for other, um, for other vendors, like other retailers, because why would you, if you had to implement all these str stringent changes just for Walmart, it's not like you're going to go back and change it for the, the rest of the retail world. And so they like, right. like Starbucks, they, they, they have the ability to be disruptors out there just because like Starbucks is so big. If this is something that they want to do, hopefully it helps better interpretation of the code at, at local levels. Um, but if anybody can do it, it's, it's, it's someone like that, who is just like, this is something that we're going to do. We're going to invest our time and, and money in it. We're going to market it and we're just going to drive forward with it. Right. And, and I like, I, I don't know I, that 
in in some ways that that can be used for for bad right like when it comes to like union busting and in some ways when it comes to food safety and waste it can be used for good and that's the conundrum with with many large companies right is you're 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 kind of you've got a lot of power but but how you use it is it, it is it comes with with as as uh as Ben Ben Parker said, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. It's a, a Spider Man reference. From the thanks acknowledged. Thank you. thank you, thank you. I did close my window. My my neighbor is having their grass cut. Oh, nice. Then, yeah. Um. So some other stuff I wanted to highlight and talk about because there's it's been a while since we we we've been able to talk about a whole bunch of illness. Not, well. We, not that we like to talk about illnesses, but there are illnesses happening. So have you been following this um, norovirus uh, outbreak linked to oysters in I have Canada? not. I have okay. not. So not, uh, 300, as of today, Oof. 328 cases of norovirus linked to Whoa. BC oysters in a whole bunch of different provinces. And there's been some US illnesses, I'm pretty sure as well. Um, so the reason, so it's, I mean, oysters, norovirus, not a surprise, right? Like I'm this, whether it's Vibrio, hepatitis A or norovirus that raw oysters uh, carry risk. And I think that for me, I think if we did, have we done an episode on risky or not of just raw oysters? It seems like pretty low stakes for us, right? Yeah, I, no, I don't think we have. It's pretty, it's kind of like a slam dunk, but yeah. So I, yeah, we we could, it may be this. worth talking about it, but yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, eventually, but the thing that I thought was interesting about this is I got a, I got an email from someone who said who, with I don't want to out them. So let me see if I can give just enough details if, for you to follow Don, and then hopefully the mm-hmm. um, the listeners can follow. So someone uh, sent sent a message and said, "Hey, this outbreak's going on. I interact with many companies who buy these types of foods." Mm-hmm. Should I send this out to them? And, and and in fact, should I be sending any of this information, recalls, outbreaks out, or does it add to the noise um, that's that's out there? And and the reason why this person asked this question is that they the the group they they don't have a way to parse out within their organization people that buy oysters and people that buy let's say potatoes for French fries. Right. Mm. So, so they had to blast it out to everybody and they're worried that too much blasting out leads to fatigue of mass. Yeah. So, so let me see if I can, I can dis, yes, uh, please, please uh, 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 unroll this a little bit. So this person has a lot of people that they are nominally responsible for overseeing. Yeah. Some of the people they oversee sell oysters and some don't. Correct. Wow. And they don't have any way to know who the oyster sellers are amongst no. the people that they serve. But, but this person also felt it was respond. They they were responsible to share this piece of information because it was a Canadian outbreak, largely. But they have people that they're responsible for close to Canada who yeah. might be buying these oysters and may yeah. not have known that this is happening. Yeah, I guess I would, you know, I, I, I would, I would do, so if I was this person, I would do two things, right? 
Number one, the short-term immediate action is I would send it out, right? And I would try to write the email in such a way that it basically says, if you don't sell oysters, delete this message right now because it's not for you, right? Some way to communicate you know, who the message is for. And I, and I send, I don't know, I don't know if you know this about me, Ben, I send a lot of email and I do think about those emails and I try to do, to send them in a way that is helpful for the recipient. Um, there's a, there was a great website back in the day um, called uh, 70, 72 folders. 72. I think in, it was called in 72 folders. Inbox 30. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, we'll link to the, we'll link to Merlin's excellent post on uh, how to write an email. Um, but, uh, and that, so that's my short action, short-term action is to send a helpful email, a well-written email that, that it hopefully is going to design to optimally reach the people that needs to reach and not bother the other people. Um yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing I would do is to take a longer action item in my OmniFocus to say, I need to think about how I communicate with the, the people out there and I need to do some, maybe not send them an email, <laughs> and right. a survey, but to talk to some of them and say, hey, look, I need I need a focus group maybe, or I need I need to get some I need to get some feedback from you guys uh, as to what is what how can I serve you right? Right, right. And what do you what do you need? What what would you be looking for from me um, to to do that? Yeah, and, and I and I kind of I, I I gave some advice back similar, um, not so much on part B that you did, but I said you know you've got this information. Um, I'm let like. It's, this isn't like you're sending out recall over after recall after recall, everything that comes across your um, your desk, you're, you're thinking very purposeful. And this is not just a recall because there was some routine testing and found it. I, I put this at a higher level of um, urgency because there's hundreds of illnesses. So, so you wanna get this information out there. So the, those businesses who might still be buying these products are it's, uh, like are, try- are making those purchasing decisions with all the information at their disposal, right? Um, and yeah. so, so that yeah. So I was like, you should you should send it. You should think about a way to say exactly like you said. If you don't, you're not handling oysters. D- delete this now. But if you handle oysters, you should read below. Um, and 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 but but I I do like your idea of also how should I engage with you better. Um, and how would you want to see this information? So, so we'll we'll link to the uh, amazing uh, 2005 uh, blog post entitled "Writing Sensible Email Messages" uh, by the always the always funny and always on point uh, Merlin Mann. So, yeah, uh, I won't I won't spoil it, but boy, re- read this if you don't if you don't know how if you don't if you think you're good at email, you should probably read this message. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a keeper. I think about, I think about, I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but I think about this message all the time. And it's probably the kind of thing that I've internalized a lot of these already, but, yeah. uh, but there's a lot of good stuff here. So, yeah. Um, okay. So another thing I wanted to, for you to talk through with me mm-hmm. <laughs> was, um, 
There's a whole bunch of Anoki Mushroom Listeria stuff going on. Don, are you? Oh, you aware? Again, of this? Ben, I will say, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't get the same internet as you. I, no, I I'm, must. I'm, I, you know, I, I think I have. Uh, I think I have. I've, I've, I've. Speaking of email, Ben, I've, I've gotten my email pretty finely tuned so that I don't see a whole lot of stuff. Well, <laughs> but that's okay. I guess why I got you. And and here's the thing, Ben. The nice thing about the internet is if somebody were to call me and say, "Hey, what do you know about Wise Trade Corporation?" Love that name. Um, uh, and they're Inoki Mushrooms. Uh, I'll say, "I don't know, but give me a second. Well, and and then I then you might say, "Hang on a second. Are we talking Wise Trade Corporation and their Inoki Mushrooms, or are we talking Tea Fresh Company and their Inoki Mushrooms?" Because we got two individual two. companies two recalls in one two recalls well and it's i think it's what it's two recalls in two um and this one is my favorite one t fresh company recalls enoki mushrooms because of the health risk do you know what the brand name of the um t fresh company's enoki mushrooms that were recalled is don yes yes oh you do sorry what is it yes oh yes yes go ahead could you tell me what it is yes, yes. That, that is the bit they are yes brand name enoki mushrooms hey do you have listeria yes yes um, uh so but okay so something we we've talked about enoki mushrooms in the past there is a pretty sizable outbreak um let me find that one enoki cdc listeria um to 2020 we had 36 cases 31 hospitalizations and four deaths linked mm. to uh enoki mushrooms so someone out there is looking for listeria and enoki mushrooms and that is great um but i am I, like I, i'm a little bit okay so first of all i'm not surprised that there's listeria and enoki mushrooms okay the, right. that part i'm not but i'm a little bit surprised that we've had a number of recalls for this so that I guess what I'm surprised at is that that the industry is not paying attention maybe I don't know like or mm. maybe maybe I'm I, I'm being overly um optimistic that there's a lot that they can do about listeria linked to uh, like enoki mushrooms I don't know enough about mushroom production and how you keep listeria out of it but I, I'm, I, I was like, oh, here's a listeria outbreak, or no, here's a re recall link to listeria for no mushrooms. Oh, wait, here's another one. Wait, are these the same? No, these are different. What, what is happening here? So, so that's, yeah, I just wanted to like, get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, if you Google, if you Google scholar uh, search um, listeria and mushrooms, um, you, you do find a paper on behavior in uh, fresh packaged agaricus bisporus, which is not in enoki mushrooms. Um, but yeah, my understanding of mushroom making, and, and I, we, we do have a state to the west of us, which is Pennsylvania, where they do grow a lot of mushrooms. Um, it's, a, it's kind of a messy business, right? And I know we test a lot of mushrooms <clears throat> We we can we can, we have in the past tested mushrooms served in university dining halls and they are often uh, pretty pretty contaminated and so um, I, I got I've got to imagine though there's things that you could and again I don't know and it's probably different with enoki mushrooms right because I think they have the enoki one of the ones that grows on wood I think and so you've got to then find a way to basically sterilize or sanitize the wood to keep the listeria from getting in I mean listeria you know listeria is a challenging pathogen right it's uh you know 
uh, Joe Frank once corrected me. Uh, it's not ubiquitous. People love to say it's ubiquitous. It's not right. ubiquitous, right? Because ubiquitous means it's everywhere, but it's around a lot, right? And it's 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 often in these you know food environments, um, and it and it just hangs out. It loves to hang out in those environments, um, and so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, and it's interesting too, like these are two separate, um, two separate out, uh, not outbreaks, two separate recalls. And in one case, the first one uh, that you mentioned, the mushrooms came from Korea and the second one, they came from China. And I just don't know enough about enoki mushroom production in general or specifically in Korea and China to say, okay, well, they need to, you know, they need to figure out what to, well, how to solve this problem. Um, right. So, but yeah. And I, I doubt there's any literature on enoki mushrooms uh, and listeria, but I'll take a quick look. Yeah, there there isn't. Yeah, um, th there's not much that I that I could see on that. Um, and I can't remember was this the were enoki mushrooms were they linked to like tea or something? Like how how are people eating enoki mushrooms where they're not cooking it? Like are they eating it raw? Are they eating it on top of salad or something like the the we we I would not expect that if you're cooking enoki mushrooms that you would still have listeria at the end of it, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, oh, for sure. So something's something's happening here. Well, um, and 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 these are these are recalls. These are not outbreaks, right. right? And so I suspect that there's just a lot of listeria in a lot of mushrooms a lot of the time. Right, 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 right. right. But and, and I think the one going back to uh, 2020 on this one. Um, there, there was, um, you know, with the, with all those illnesses, some, some raid eat like aspect of, of handling it must've happened or, or yeah. Oh, and Don, sorry. How many did I send you? I think there's a third one. Third. Yeah. So we, uh, uh wise trade tea fresh and top top quality. Um, and, and they're not, they're all, there's gotta be something that's happening where someone's testing this right now or there's like a fda sampling thing that's happening because this one was grown in taiwan the mm. china the tea fresh was from china and i think the other one was also from china or maybe from korea so south korea yeah um, so anyway yeah but so okay going back to where where we where we were talking about a couple um minutes ago like should should we be telling pregnant individuals to not eat raw enoki mushrooms i think the I answer think is probably so. yes right yes yeah or, or so. tea or or put it on top of salads whatever whatever is happening with this um with this food um yeah because i i mean there's there's a lot of listeria that's happening right now and the more we look for it it seems like the more it's popping up yeah yeah for sure um Cool. Well, what else? What else do you seems, want to talk about? It seems, it seems to come. And again, you know, this is. I'm just looking. There's an, a pretty good article um, from Journal of Applied Microdiversity of Listeria strains isolated from Agaricus bisporus, which is again the common the common mushroom. But uh, in the first table, there's a recalls in the EU since 2013, and enoki mushrooms comes up a bunch. And so, what I'm wondering is, is there something special about enoki? mushrooms where it's where it's a risk i don't know right right yeah the, right what is there something about the growing is there something about the handling yeah. that yeah um so all right well hey let's go let's go to the thing that we've teased about 
<laughs> um, and there's two. So there's two things okay. I want to want to highlight. Here. Okay. One one is um, the Politico article, the FDA's food failure, and it's so this was written by um, someone who I, I'm I'm sure you've spoken with or been interviewed yeah. by Helena yeah. um, yep. Miller Evich. So Helena and I talked. Who I, who I always think is Helena Bottom Carter, but that's right, a different, different person. Exactly, exactly. Um, so so Helena um, or Helena, she uh, she and I spoke about um, the uh, TikTok coverage of um, the Abbott Laboratories um, linked um, uh, Chronobacter illnesses, but also a whole bunch of other things that might be going on in. Um, in infant formula a, a, a few weeks ago. And then I guess, you know, at the same time, she was working on this investigative uh, piece on on FDA. But I also, the next thing I want to highlight um, with this is that um, right afterwards, um, the, uh, our friend, um, Mike Taylor, or do you know, do you know about him? Have you, uh, you're you familiar with his work? Well, he's, I am familiar with his work. He's, he's quoted in that, the food failure article. He is. Um, he <clears> also uh, uh, wrote his own op-ed that, that dropped yesterday oh, nice. in Politico, um, really basically following up on Helena's work and saying the FDA, essentially Whoa. the FDA should be broken up and we should have a, a food safety agency. That's the, the gist of, of his um uh, of his op-ed and and there's a lot of he makes a lot of good points but also one one thing and we'll we'll get into this over the next few minutes but one thing i really respect about mike and and i've known i've known mike well over the last five years as we've both been board members for stop foodborne illness mm -hmm. um I, i've not known him like we we've known of each other for for a while but mike like <laughs> Mike, and I'll read this directly from um, from his op-ed. Mike served as FDA's deputy commissioner for foods and veterinary medicine from 2010 to 2016, right? Like, see, he's been on the inside. Right. It's not like um, the call from from the outside of this is what we should do. He he spent six years living in this world, and um, and so anyway, so let's let's jump into the into the Politico um, article. I I thought it was. I thought it was really fascinating. Um, the you know this it gets just you know it's a, it's Politico and and it's and and the the narrative of this article to me is um, FDA is is big and gets pulled in lots of different directions and and there's reportedly infighting between who where right. go who who has power and what. Um, what, what things should be focused on, right? Like, I think that's right. That, that's the big, um, the, the the big overarching narrative. I, I think, and and we had a little bit of a uh, of a text exchange on this. I think some of the examples that are given in here are less about FDA's management structure and struggle, and more about how it's hard to investigate a foodborne illness outbreak. And right. and I'll, I'll credit our friend Linda Harris for saying that probably in more articulate words um, over over text. But I, I really I think that that's the case, right? Like the the closer you are to this, it doesn't read very well from like a painting a picture of functionality of FDA, but it, it's it's more complicated than 
than than a government it's a it's a uh, a, a bad government agency. It's like, you know what, this world that we're in is kind of tough because you don't have all the information you need. And and if you go what the I'll, I'll butcher this quote, because it's an ongoing bit. But if you go early and get it wrong, you're no, if you get it, if you if you <laughs> if if it's early and wrong, you're wrong. And if you go late, you're you're wrong. What what's the right quote, Don, on this for right, sharing? So this is this is a, this is a quote from from epidemiologist Paul Mead. Okay, who I think at the time worked for CDC, not FDA. But but the idea is that if you um, if you announce uh, if you announce an outbreak, a link of a pathogen to a food, and you get it wrong you went you were too early yes and if you and if you get it right you you're too late too late yeah right? okay Good. and That's so you can't one. you can't win right either you're deliberate and cautious in which case you could be too late or you're aggressive and risky and you could be too early yeah exactly um so i think that there's a bit of that in here right like i think that there's yeah um quite quite a bit um so but but i also I think that the the other thing that I took away from this was FISMA was billed as a fixing the food safety system cure all for for FDA. Mm -hmm. I don't think FDA really ever built it as that. I think that the commentary was that like that was part of the the political need to to move forward. Um, I remember in 2009, when I first started at NC State, getting into the food safety world here in North Carolina and, and about like inter interacting with stakeholders from various commodity groups who were like, this is, this is, it's going to revolutionize everything. And, it, and, and some things they were fighting back on and other things they were really supporting. And it, and, it, and truthfully, I think it has changed the thought process and view of food safety from a regulatory standpoint, and and how um, how risks are evaluated, and and how that goes into policymaking. But trying to change this massive ship of food safety regulation with with one sweeping, you know, act. Um, it's, it's really hard. And, and I, I think there were parts of this article that I thought sort of exemplified that about sort of the, the ag water rule. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I, it, um, our, our friend, um, there was a part in here that I thought was really, really good. Let me just pull the quote, um, from, from our friend, Jen, Jen McIntyre, yep. um, who, and I don't know if I'll be able to find it. Well, I, well, while you look for that, I, I, I went through, I, I had a little bit of time before the, the, the recording today, and I just went through and I, I highlighted a bunch of stuff. So can I, while you're thinking yeah. about that, can I, let me just riff on some of the things that I highlighted and give you my hot takes, okay? Yep. So it's been more than, so quoting from the article, it's been more than 11 years since Congress passed a sweeping food safety law designed to prevent this type of health risk. Okay, that's, tr that's a true statement, but... Congress doesn't pass the law uh, one day and then all of a sudden um, everything's fixed, right. right? There's a law and then there's proposed rules and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, 
a month-long Politico investigation found regulating food is not simply a high priority. Well, that's that's a good, there's some good points in here, and we'll come back to that one, right? Um, uh, uh, Politico found that the Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition, the little-known arm of FDA, well, it's not little known to you and me, Ben. It's the only part of FDA for the most part. Like I was, I've been amazed to learn about other parts that are not CIFSAN, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, going on, um, I'll skip a few of these. Uh, FDA commissioners almost always come from the medical side and historically have almost no experience with food issues. That's a good, that's a really good point, right? And this, this is a good one. This long, long running joke, which I've never heard until now, long running joke among FDA officials is that the F in FDA is silent. Um, and then people have also called it the Federal Drug Administration um, instead of the Food and Drug Administration, which is which is that these are this, these are all good points. Um, yeah, and again, FDA does have the medical side is 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 big, and there's a couple of different agencies dealing with the the, the medical side, right? Uh, Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, Center for Biologics, device, medical devices, right? Um, let's see. Um, it, I did not know this. Um, about two thirds of the budget of FDA actually goes to the Office of Regulatory Affairs. Th those are just the inspectors, right? right those are the right. people that are inspecting drug facilities, inspecting food facilities. These are the boots on the ground people, um, not uh, not the scientists and the policymakers. So that that I thought found was was fascinating. I but, and so I on that, that, yeah, did you, like that I, I never i guess i never really thought about the budget breakdown mm -hmm. but the more i thought about it that makes sense right like that boots mm -hmm. on the ground aspect of fda is something that even even if we go back to to what we talked about with with bill in the last episode it, it is something that that is where the um where, where i guess the real magic of of fda happens for me it's when someone steps into a facility and they're looking around and they're looking to see whether they're meeting the, the regulations and the 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 just the vast number of thousands and thousands of businesses that FDA regulates, even if it, even if we took out the drug side of things, I would still expect that the FDA has a lot of budget invested into those boots on the ground. Um, mm. So was that like, did you think about that and say, oh, it should be more with the scientists or or had you just not thought about it before? Like I was. well, one of the things that the the weird things about ORA is that there's food and drug people mixed in, and like right. in New Jersey, some people do both kind of inspections, right? And so yeah. I, I, again, I want to I want to go back, and I did I was not aware of the Mike Taylor um, op-ed. I do want to go and read that and see what he proposes. I mean, you know, every couple of years we talk about every ten years we talk about a single food safety agency, but uh, but certainly you know it, that that would I think. It would, it would cause chaos and disruption, but it, it might get us to a better place. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about the article, which which I also sort of knew, but it was good to hear, is kind of this um, advert, not adversary, but competitive relationship between Frank Giannis, who is a friend of ours, who's the Deputy Commissioner for Food Policy and Response, and Susan Main, who is the Director of CIFSAN, who I don't know. Now, I have known past directors of CIFSAN. I just don't, I just don't happen to know Susan or, or what, where she, I don't think she, I think she comes from the nutrition side. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, yeah, so she, uh, she's an academic um, uh, from the School of Public Health, um, uh, and deals with uh, population sciences at the Yale Cancer Center. Um, again, and the article has somebody characterizing her as overly cautious, indecisive, running things much more like an academic institution, which, which um, we I, live in. I got, understand. I got, 
yeah. I got so much to say about that. Um, but I, but I won't, uh, cause I, they probably can't fire me, but I, you know, I, I'm just, you know, look, look, go out there. I'm passive aggressively t- uh, uh, tweeting all the time. So, um, yeah, Giannis has a tendency to press for more root cause analysis, more pathogen testing, quicker reports, which is good. I mean, the Frank's Frank comes from from the food side, right? It comes from comes from from the food industry, and after spending time at Disney and then and then Walmart, so he is. I mean, that is that is one of the good things about him is he does kind of. I mean, he's a schmoozer, but but and he, I don't think he listens to the podcast, but he definitely is. Um, he, he, you know, he understands, he understands the pace that the world works at not outside of government and academia. Right, right, right. Um, and then again, wonderful quotes from Mike Taylor, deputy commissioner for, and again, that, that position, that Mike Taylor position, which is now the Frank Giannis position was changed in how it fits within the, in the, the hierarchy, which I think was quite, uh, quite interesting. And then there's a lot of discussion about, uh, lobbying, uh, food, food, Gottlieb, uh, right here, uh, the food industry lobby. USDA, which puts pressure on FDA through the White House and Capitol Hill, and that's unproductive. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, unless you get rid of lobbyists, I don't, I mean, anyway, that's that's a separate discussion, I think. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, this talking about the ag water testing, it required growers to test their water a certain number of times and do logarithmic calculations, Ben. So many logs. Gauge how safe the water was to use. It's not really that hard. You can actually, you know, make a spreadsheet and the extension folks will help people. Or download a spreadsheet that you just put your numbers into. Yeah. So anyway, and so there's, there's some stuff in here about, and the ag water is, is tough and it is, and I've got my share of criticism of FDA on that, but I can, I can also maybe empathize with them a little bit more than, than the the way they're depicted in this article. Um, (laughs) uh, Talking about uh, uh, four years before a new uh, ag water rule would come out. Um, what exactly happened during those four years is a mystery to everyone, including some within the agency. So well, it's a bureaucracy. We all live there. We, we all live yeah. through those four years. Uh, everyone, everyone wanted some sort of decision and finality from the FDA. So Jennifer McIntyre, a uh, personal friend of ours and chief food safety and regulatory affairs officer at the International Fresh Produce Association. Jennifer's great. I yeah. love I always like to read when my friends are quoted. Uh, and she's a pistol. She's, yeah. she's, a, she's a straight shooter. Um, Let's see. Um, standards were praised by industry as being flexible and panned by consumer groups as being too lax. Well, that means you're probably on the right course. Um, anyway, um, I, I, yeah, this anyway. So we could go on, but you've you've got you've got a, a family situation you have to deal <laughs> well, with. Well, no, um, it's right. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, um, all, yeah, all I was going to yeah. All I was well, going to yeah. <laughs> good. <laughs> oh, you my. go. You go. I'm going to go. All you know. All I was going to add is I I thought it was really. I, th- I think it's really interesting that Mike um, wrote and published the op-ed that followed this the day afterwards that yeah. that really, and we can come back to this at our next episode, Don, but I think yeah. it really does kind of say, hey, I have a I have a solution that I think we should all think about. And, yeah. and, and in fact, I'll read a couple of things from, from his op-ed saying, equally important, neither the Obama nor Trump administration empowered the deputy commissioner for food to oversee the program's largest organizational unit, which is responsible for food inspection and import activities and manages nearly 70% of the, all the dollars Congress gives the food program. So that, speaking of ORA, and uh, he's, he goes on to write, say, the sad truth is that under FDA's current structure, no one is really in charge and realistically accountable for the food program's strategic direction, sound resource management, and overall success. And so I, I just, again, 
I'll, I'll reiterate what I said at the start. I, I, if anybody has credibility in the world of FDA and, and structure, uh, from from a history standpoint, Mike does in my in my book, and I know he's still right. very much um, aware. He's not he's not you know tied in certainly as much as he was six years ago, um, but he, he's still aware and he still follows this. And so the you know I think there's I think there's a lot to his his comments, and and you know I'll end with this comment that it is very much like complicated. You thinking about. And we we've talked about this on on this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. If you were to start a regulatory agency from from scratch to address food safety, it wouldn't look like FDA and FSIS, right? Like you would do something and, different. Yeah, these, and CDC and, and CDC. Yeah, yeah, it would not look like how it. Yeah, no. It, it, this is the this is the organic nature of how bureaucracies evolve, right? It would sure as heck not look like this. Nobody would design this. No, and 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 we we do the best that we can with the system that we've that we've got. Um I, I'll tell you, I thought that there would be, you know, the this article came out on Sunday, the the original Politico article, I think it was either Saturday or Sunday. Um or no, I guess it was a few days ago. It, it's been quiet. Like I, there hasn't been a whole lot of response to this. Yeah, well, but, but there've been a, a bunch of folks saying, "Hey, did you guys see this?" Which is right. good because that means it's reaching like quote unquote normal people, right? Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's true. Which is good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sorry for the. But I mean, uh, what? But what's yeah. FDA going to say? They can't comment on this, right? No, I know. I, I don't. I mean, and I don't know. I mean, is Congress going to do something? I probably not. Right? No, but, I, but I don't. Yeah. yeah. What I was expecting was that. You know the Washington Post and New York Times would pick up this political. Oh, okay, article. yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it's and it hasn't yet, right? Like, right. and maybe maybe Mike weighing into the fray changes that a little bit. But you know, the, the in the news cycle, it's um, someone writes something and then everyone else talks about it, and right. and there's been less talk about it than I had expected. Because when I read this, I was like, oh wow, this is this, this is going to land hard. Yeah, um, yeah, so. Um, anyway, I apologize. I have a, oh, no. um, a, no a non predetermined heart out that includes picking up a child at school. Um, so I'm going I'm, to, I think that's, I think that's a show. Uh, and okay. then we'll, we'll come back and do this again. All right. Bye. Bye.
Do you have time to schedule? Yeah, I got time to schedule. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Got uh, Danny got stuck at, at a job. No worries. I'm glad we started early. Yeah, me too. That worked out good, or it would have been really short. Um, okay, so April twelfth, two weeks from today, I'm in Houston at the Conference Food Protection Board meeting. So that's not going to work. I'm in, I'm in I'm in New Jersey for the board meeting. Yeah. What about? What is next? I know this is a little bit early, but what does next Thursday look like to you, the 21st? Uh, looks good. How I've got between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. I got nothing. And really, I could go as early as 9.30 if we needed to. Let's, let's, no, let's, let's do 10. Okay, Um, perfect. FST. Done. That's easy. Um, Cool. And I can tell you that no one will have to get picked up at noon or one o'clock because <laughs> school doesn't end until two thirty in one case and three in the other. No, so. no worries. Cool. No worries. Awesome. Um, so, uh, all right, cool. I will, uh, I gotta go and I will okay. talk, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.